Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Know Why the Nick Caged Bird Sings. The podcast where we watch every Nicolas Cage movie in chronological order so that you don't have to. I'm your host, my name is Steve. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Hannah Martin. Hannah, how are you doing this week? I'm great. We're in the yellow in Philly. Yeah, so we're... Pennsylvania is, mm-hmm. might be different than other states. It is, yeah. So we're using a colored system to get out of the coronavirus pandemic quarantine, if you're listening to this in the distant future. And we are in the yes, second phase. this is phase. the year of COVID. Yeah, remember that? That was fun. <laughs> God, I hope things are better by the time you're listening to this. Yeah. Anyhow, moving on. This week we discuss, we will discuss, Nicolas Cage's directorial debut whoa exciting times very so the movie is called sunny starring james franco who plays a former male gigolo who returns after a brief stint in the army and tries to figure his life out nick cage has a small role we'll discuss that so it may be a fairly short podcast we'll see we say that a lot we never really know how it turns out so hannah I think you like to get us started with a little bit of the rankings and ratings for this movie. Yes, sir. So, Sunny came out in 2002. It is given a 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb and a measly 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, 23. I thought it was 33, but I guess I'm mistaken. 23. That's rough. I don't think it was that bad. Me neither. It wasn't good. No. But it wasn't like... There were obvious flaws, but... It wasn't, I don't think it was deserving of that. I don't think so either. Like egregious. We may get into why that rating is the way it is. I'm assuming Hannah will have some details about that. But so that's the ratings, actually. That's a perfect segue into your segment of the podcast, Hannah. The floor is yours. First, I'll talk about the budget. Okay. So the budget was very low. Four hmm. million dollars. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there is a pretty egregious explosion. Yeah. <laughs> so, most of that money went to that. Right. And then paying James, James Franco. Franco. Yeah. I don't think he was a huge star at this point. No. Like, I, we were watching this and Spider-Man 1 came out in 2001, 2002, and that was kind of James Franco's big break, I would think. Yeah. Well, other than Freaks and Geeks. Right. I forgot he was in that. Mm-hmm. So the movie's budget was $4 million, like I mentioned <clears throat> the earnings from the movie, oh $132,000. That's rough. That's brutal. It was a limited release. Yeah. Only a few theaters, um, very short term yeah. release. That's rough. That's late, really late bad. Late 2002 in like December, I, I believe it was released. Okay. Nick was nominated for a grand special prize, which sounds very made up to me. Absolutely, it is. It sounds like something you give the kid in your kindergarten class. A real consolation. Yeah, who's just like got nothing going for this poor kid. And you're like, you won the grand special prize, Timmy. Okay, but I didn't say he won. I said he was nominated. (laughs) Touche. So he was nominated um, for the grand special prize at the... I'm gonna I'm gonna really uh, ruin this. I didn't take French in school, but it's Ooh, okay. Deauville, Deauville, Deauville. Depends on how it's spelled. D e a u v i l l e. Deauville, yeah, probably Deauville. Yeah, the Deauville 
film festival in uh, Duvie, France. So that is the only thing it was nominated for. It wow. was not nominated for a Razzie, so it's better than That's true. Some, some of other his, things. Yeah. What was he nominated for a Razzie before? We looked this up. You can go back in our podcasts and listen if you're yeah, really curious. Yeah, off the top of my head. We've watched so many movies. <laughs> oh, my God. So many bad movies. Mm. So speaking of bad movies, mm-hmm. the critics were not very kind. I have a quote from one of them. Please. It says, for the devoted moviegoer, there's something reassuring about touching bottom, knowing you have endured the worst that movies can offer. Such a cathartic experience will soon be available for you. Sunny is that experience. What I can only hope and pray that th- I live in a world where this is the worst movie I've ever seen. I hope someone says that about our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Verbatim. <laughs> And then he ended the critique with, this movie appears to be an honest failure. Well, at least it's an honest failure. Yeah. In Peppered in the Middle, he said, you know, often when actors direct other actors, they have really good intentions. Mm. Unfortunately, like, it just didn't work out in his favor, I guess. Seems a little harsh, but... I think so, too. I really don't think it was that bad. We've watched so many shit movies. Would you really think that this is the worst that movies can offer? No, I can not. tell you what is. <laughs> it's, it's A Christmas Carol 2001. <laughs> Let me see. Let me see here real quick. What is uh, below this movie? Hold on one second. Okay. So according to Rotten Tomatoes, at least, what's below this movie is 8mm. Not that bad. Mm-mm. Amos and Andrew. Pretty bad. Christmas Carol, pretty bad. Firebirds was definitely worse. Terrible. Trapped in Paradise was worse. Gross. And Deadfall was atrocious. Yeah, but but we loved it. Right. Okay, yeah. So Deadfall was Nicolas Cage's brother's directorial debut. Mm -hmm. Would how would you compare Deadfall and Sunny? I feel like those are the two movies that are the most comparable in that category. They are night and day. Yeah. They are a fever dream and, and a nightmare. And it's crazy because James Franco is a great actor, but like Michael Bean or whatever his name is, he's not a bad actor. He was bad in Deadfall. He was so bad in Deadfall. Yeah. Franco is was good in this. Is it the director's fault or is it Probably. the actor's fault? Yeah. So Nick is a better director than his brother. Wow. I said it I said it here folks. Whoa. We only speak the truth on this podcast. <laughs> good god. It's all opinion. <laughs> what else you got from behind the scenes? A lot of things, in fact. Great. So um, we'll talk about the movie first, and then I'll get into some of the things happening in Nick's life in 2002. So we'll talk about James Franco. So he's the star of this movie. He did a very Nicolas Cage thing, and he visited a bunch of male strip clubs in New Orleans uh, for a month leading up to filming. He followed a male prostitute around, and he even entered a hotel to watch the prostitute do his job. Yikes. That yes. is it's real. very uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, it's not like method, I guess, but it's really doing a lot of unnecessary research. It yeah. is doing the most. It is doing the nouveau. Yeah. I was going to talk about it in a minute, but there are a lot of handful of scenes where oh, Franco you can is... Tell. You can tell who directed this movie. <laughs> Franco is acting very much like our boy, Nicolas Cage. He's he's screaming when he doesn't need to, throwing things, making... Honestly, I'd be, I'd be really disappointed if he wasn't. 
Yeah, if he was just kind of that we watched this movie and yeah. didn't see anything inspired by Nick Cage. That's true. Like I was, I was pleasantly surprised in that department. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Another thing about James, just something that I found. Um, Tommy Wiseau is that how you say his name? I don't know. Who, he is he from? the actor from The Room, which is the <laughs> worst movie apparently ever I think made. I think it's Wizzo. Wizzo, okay. Um, and then they made a movie like a couple years ago called The Disaster Artist, which is like based upon the filming of The Room. Yeah. And uh, James Franco plays Tommy Wizzo. Wizzo. Mm-hmm. And... Tommy Wiseau credits this movie, Sonny, as the reason that he gave James Franco permission to play him in The Disaster Artist because he's not painting him like in a very kind light. Right. This movie, though. This movie. The Disaster Artist came out like a few years ago. Yeah, but I guess he saw this movie and was like, wow, this kid's got jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Not, you know, 127 hours, which he was directed or nominated for. (laughs) He wasn't in 50-50. Oh, shoot. It was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. My bad. But it was Seth Rogen, and they act together a lot, so that's what you're thinking of. They look kind of alike. Joseph Gordon-Levitt? And And James Franco? James Franco? No. They don't? Not really. Mm. James Franco looks like Adam Beach, as we discussed last week. And Dave Franco. (laughs) Both two very... (laughs) Very handsome. Very handsome, (laughs) successful actors. Just want to throw that out there. (laughs) Yes. So I watched an interview with Nicolas Cage talking Mm -hmm. about this movie. And he said that he found this script 15 years before they filmed it. And Whoa. Richard Gere was originally considering directing the movie. Mm. And then he passed on it and he did American Gigolo instead. Oh, very similar. So I guess he wanted to do a movie in that realm. Sure. With the same subject matter. Same subject matter, yes. And the interviewer was talking about that saying like it is very and i and we we even mentioned this when we were watching the movie it's very interesting to see this movie from the male perspective like a male prostitute's perspective because that's very uncommon Mm -hmm. you almost exclusively i guess other than american gigolo are seeing and and deuce bagel Bagel. (laughs) american gigolo um in movies if you see prostitutes they're usually female right yeah absolutely so it was really interesting to see it from the male perspective and a lot of his clientele are like old rich white women and that was also interesting to see because Mm -hmm. um you see them having sex and you see some nudity as well which we'll get into (laughs) yes maybe um well because the only reason i say maybe is because nick cage isn't any of any of those Uh, so i'm not sure how much steve is going to just like skip over i'm gonna skip over a bunch but yeah yeah, i was gonna mention that you do see some like older female nudity and that's it's kind of like both interesting and also refreshing. Know, refreshing. <laughs> that is, yeah, it's refreshing. Honestly, sure. I'm used to just seeing like young, attractive women in naked, and especially in Nick Cage movies. So to see like some of these older women in the buff, it, it it's very real. Yeah. Um, and it also proves that like. Women also have sexual desires and needs to be met. That's a good point. Very interesting subject matter. The interviewer asked Nick to interpret something, and Nick gave him this cop-out answer that said, I agree with any interpretation that anyone could ever come up with about anything. Okay. (laughs) So it's like, all right, fine. You're not really answering the question. 
he was asked who influenced him, and I assumed he was going to say his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, one of the most famous directors of all time. Uh-huh. But no, he gave like the most artsy, fartsy answer. Oh, God. So he said, um, Elia Kazan, or Elia, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Mm-hmm. But he directed A Streetcar Named Desire, gotcha. East of Eden. Gotcha. Those are the two that I'm familiar with. And then the other person was Rainer or Vayner Rainer Fassbinder, who's a German filmmaker, director, cinematographer from like the he was popular in like the seventies in Germany. So those are his two inspirations. Cool, not Nick. his uncle. Cool. Just trying to be really cool. Cool. So that's not about the movie. I apologize because I missed a few things in last week's episode. I learned today that Nick Cage was paid $20 million to be in Wind Talkers, which I neglected to share last week. Yeah, that's a lot. Also, Wind Talkers came out in 2002, and I completely forgot a very important uh, event in Nicolas Cage's life was in 2002. What you got? So we'll lead up to it. Oh, boy. In 2002, Nick Cage auctioned off 400 vintage comics for mm. or $1.6 million. Wow. One of those comics was Action Comics 1, which I think we've talked about before. He thought it was stolen. Yeah, that's right. A few years back, he mm-hmm. like thought his entire comic collection was stolen, and then he found out that he had just misplaced them. That's right. I don't right. know how you misplace 400 vintage comics. Especially but Action Comics number one, when you're a huge Superman fan like he is. Yeah, I don't know. That would be my prized possession. He's clearly not very responsible. That's true. We know this. Um, so he sold Action Comics 1 for $86,000. That's one, a, one comic. That's low for it, Action Comics think? number one. Yeah. In mint condition, which you'll never find, it'll go for over a million. I didn't say it was in mint condition. No, I know. But like that's that's the upper end of the range. You know, I've seen yeah. some of the... Worst conditions, one go for like half a million, 200,000. So 86,000 isn't very high. Must have been in poor condition because it's in Nick Cage's hands. <laughs> right. So in very early August, he announced that he was selling his comics. And then days later, he married Lisa Marie Presley. Whoa, that is a that is big news for this year that we skipped over last, big news. last episode. So he married Lisa Marie Presley on August 10th, 2002. And he also got divorced <laughs> from Lisa Marie Presley 107 days later Wow! on November 25th, 2002. And the divorce was finalized uh, March 16th, 2004. So two years later. Oh, wow. He just got divorced from Patricia Arquette in 2001. Yes. Yep. And then he married and divorced Lisa Marie Presley in 2002. In But they'd been together for two years, which is confusing to me because he was still married to Patricia Arquette in 2000. Well, weren't they separated or something? They were. That's true. So I guess that's who he was dating when people thought that he was dating um, Selma Hayek. Oh, I thought it was Taya Leone. I think they both... Was it Taya Leone? Both of them, I think, had rumored. That makes sense. Doesn't matter. He had rumors. He has rumors with every woman. With every co-star. Yeah, that's Hollywood for you. True. Um, Yes. So they were together from 2000 to 2002, and I watched a little video about uh, that compiled 
everything that Lisa Marie Presley has said about Nicolas Cage. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know, Lisa Marie Presley is the daughter of Elvis Presley. Right. And Nick Cage is a huge Elvis fan. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that movie? Wild, no, not Wild at Heart. Yeah, in Wild at Heart, he kind of plays like an Elvis type of figure, but in... um, Honeymoon in Honeymoon Vegas. Honeymoon in Vegas, he plays, yeah. He plays a guy who kind of falls ass backwards into becoming an Elvis impersonator. impersonator yeah. So Nick, it's no secret that Nick Cage um, has like a pretty big Elvis fetish, I would even say. Oh, and what was the movie? I think it was Family Man, where he yes. was going through his box of stuff and there was a little Easter egg of like he picked up his favorite cologne, which mm-hmm. was also the cologne that Elvis, Elvis used or, 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 or an he, Elvis brand or yeah, something. He like is pretty hard for all this <laughs> so <laughs> um he got a lot of criticism in the press and from people saying that he was using lisa marie because of her status symbol mm. and she kind of agreed with that hmm. so she said that there was just like a fame disparity between the two of them because she was even even though he's a coppola and that's yeah. like a big name family she's a presley yeah and that like presley outweighs coppola a lot of and money there too probably ton of money there um and i don't think that nick handled that very well mm. they ended it like i don't know how amicable it was when they ended it but it like a few years later she was she said that like in 2004 when the divorce was finally finalized she was saying like we're still good friends like there are no issues similar to patricia arquette like Hmm. there were really no huge problems okay it's not like one of them cheated or right uh, but there was no abuse like good drugs like nothing like that okay um so lisa marie said that he it was just attractive to her that they had a similar background. So she felt that like she'd been married a bunch of times before. Oh, really? And she already had two kids and he also has a, has one son or right. two, two kids, one son, one son at this point. So it was important, I think, to Lisa Marie Presley because she comes from such a background to, I guess, be with someone who comes from a similar background because they would understand her position or situation a little bit better. Yeah, that makes sense. But at, on the flip side of the coin i think that was like ultimately the demise of the relationship too Mm. very interesting thing that i will uh share and then we can get into this movie okay um she is quoted as saying that they are gypsy spirited tyrannical pirates the two of them gypsy spirited tyrannical pirates tyrannical pirates you know just your average gypsy spirited tyrannical pirate tyrannical uh, pirate. couple like us what? like me and you just Steve. like <laughs> just like us just like you guys just like you know just we're so relatable just gypsy spirited tyrannical pirates over here oh my god i'm gonna change that to like my instagram bio or something <laughs> <laughs> steve a gypsy spirited tyrannical pirate that sounds like me that's really lame really lame (laughs) (laughs) but like what else do you expect yeah nothing (laughs) i expect no less and no more from Nicolas cage oh one more thing yes um he even though this was a limited release he said he saw this in movies uh he saw it in the theaters a a bunch of times Mm, of course he he went to watch it like probably sat in the back put on some dark shades and a hoodie or something (laughs) he probably went and watched it a thousand times and that's where the entire box office gross dollars uh, <laughs> yeah. that it made yeah exactly jesus okay well is that yep. what you got ready to get into the movie yeah there's one more thing but i'll wait for you to get to it and then i can share some more 
Okay. It. I mean, I'm not really going to go through the plot because we usually go through. It's not se- the plot. You'll you'll get to it. Okay. It's it's <laughs> we usually go through Nick Cage scene by Nick Cage scene, but like I said, Nick Cage is only in one scene. So I wanted to point out a few things because he did direct this movie. A few things that we kind of found interesting. Right. And by no means are we experts at this. No. But I will say that after and we were talking to my parents actually about this yesterday. That after watching so many movies, you kind of start to get an understanding of what makes a good movie from a directing perspective, like sound mixing, lighting, right? you know, the addition of music, cinematography, which we recently learned about. So, <laughs> Yeah, that was in what Snake Eyes? We learned what cinematography, cinematography was. was. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is um, pretty uh, telling, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So... The movie opens up, and I guess we misread it, because it says New Orleans 1981 or something. I read 1939. I'm not sure why. (laughs) Right. But the entire movie, I'm like, there's no way that this is the 30s. There's no way this is the 30s. And it was really distracting for us throughout the entire (laughs) watching of this movie. Because sometimes the women were wearing clothes that I was like, okay, that could be the 30s. Right. And then he put on like a leather jacket. I'm like, there's no... what when he had like a graphic t-shirt on i'm like this isn't the 30 right definitely not <laughs> so, he was driving like a like a mustang like a 1960s mustang <laughs> <laughs> so so it's as i explained before james franco is coming home from a brief stint in the army he grew up in essentially a brothel his mom was a prostitute his uh he's he was a male gigolo or a male prostitute and he comes home and finds that his mom has hired this new protege who's this ex like one of the best prostitutes what have you and it's the girl from american pie um the blonde girl i'm blanking on her name this the singer the shooby dooby doo bop bop shooby dooby doo bop magic you remember that scene you remember you ever see this movie no she's shaking her head now as she quietly looks up the name of this actress mina suvari i thought that was the mother no, that's Brenda Blethen. Really? I thought that was the other way around. No. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> <laughs> it truly is inconsequential. So anyhow, James Franco's big deal is that... Still yeah. her. Okay. Mina She's Suvari. also an American Beauty. Is she? Okay. I've never seen American Beauty. I know it's a classic, but I haven't seen it. Same year. Both of those movies came out. Well, it's not surprising that you haven't seen it. No, I've only seen Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> yeah, I know. Before this, I'd never seen a movie before. Right, that's true. <laughs> so, not true. <laughs> so James Franco is like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not doing this type of work anymore. I'm going to go legit. There's also uh, Harry Harry Dean Stanton. He's mm-hmm. a, he's yeah. this older man who kind of hangs out at the brothel and has been sort of like a a boyfriend of James Franco's mother. It's ultimately revealed that it's James Franco's father is actually harry dean stanton but it's never really truly clear why they hid the fact that he was his son and his father it didn't make any sense to no me. yeah it didn't really uh, add up there were a few kind of shots that hannah and i noticed and we were like okay this is this is a first time director for mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of weird placements of the camera and people looking into the camera in a weird way and like long shots when they should have been shorter shorter shots when they should have been longer that kind of thing so the it's other just thing- like an awkward experience to watch. It, it's mm-hmm. a, it's more of a feeling, I think, that you get from from watching it. 
Yeah. And you're like, this is, this isn't right. This feels, this feels off. Yeah. So one of the things that happened too is, you know, it's a pretty standard dramatic movie. And then James Franco says, I'm going to go legit. I don't want to be a prostitute anymore. I've got a buddy in Texas city that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's got a job lined up for me. So I'm going to go drive there. And then when he drives there, they play a Rush song, which we thought it was the 1930s. And we're like, what's happening? What is happening? (laughs) And the camera moves really fast. Like it's fast motion, not slow motion, but fast motion as he's driving, which it was just kind of a little odd and corny. Yeah, exactly. There. So again, I never really understood what time period it was and we were like is that skinnard is that the rolling stones why why are we hearing this music but it all makes sense now that we looked up the date i did write a note because james franco and the girl from american pie have to share a bed in this house so they end up hooking up and kind of having a relationship and i noted one of my early notes i i said it's a lot of restraint that nicholas cage showed that because we never see the girl from american pie naked you know or we see james franco's bare ass a few times we see a lot of other naked women and then the very next scene or something it was like oh well there goes that theory i was like wow look at the restraint on nicholas cage and then it was like no he there's just tons of naked women and as hannah mentioned there's some older women yep which was kind of uh as we noted refreshing refreshing in a way (laughs) i think i i definitely think so yeah hollywood is skewed that's true yeah like people want to see movies with women, like with people that look like them. Mm-hmm. Just like people want to see models that look like them too. Sure, yeah, that's true. <laughs> After he comes back and realizes that there's no job in Texas City, James Franco decides to go back into prostitution. And there's a few scenes where like the women don't pay him enough, so he kind of like freaks out and yells and throws things, and we're like. That's Nick Cage. Some cagey shit. That's very nouveau schematic. Some unjustified screaming. So he's just got like a temper problem. Yeah, exactly. So, it, but it all makes sense. And that's the problem. We're like, why is this movie so panned by critics? Because like, it kind of all makes sense. It works. It flows. Yeah. If I were sold into prostitution from a young age, I think I'd also be pretty angry. Yeah. You'd have some kind of problem. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's wild that he doesn't have any worse issues than just some anger issues. Yeah. Super weird. Anyhow, there's this small subplot. That Harry Dean Stanton likes to play gin with, like the card game, with some other older unnamed man. And the one time he finally wins, he's feeling happy, he gets in his car, and he's starting to drive away from the bar. It's just Harry Dean Stanton in his car. And he gets T-boned by this truck and, imme- and immediately everything lights on fire. Just, it's, it's hit everything on fire. Just one, two. Just like, that's not how car accidents work, from my understanding. It's because Nick Cage has done so many Jerry Bruckheimer movies. Bruckheimer. Gotcha. Right. So the car explodes and Harry Dean Stanton's dead. So James Franco doesn't take that very well. He also finds out in the next scene that, oh, it was your father. And James Franco decides to get really, really drunk on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And he goes over to Acid Yellow's house for a quick trick. So Acid Yellow... Is a drug dealer played by Nicolas Cage. A very flamboyant drug dealer. But he's a very, very flamboyant, I assume flamboyantly gay drug dealer because he trades male prostitutes for gay sex for drugs. So the male prostitutes get drugs. Right. So the male prostitutes get drugs in exchange for gay sex for his 
clients. Clients. Yes. That so, made sense. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> I'm like trying to follow my own sentence. And I'm just not sure that at all it <laughs> attaches. Together. Gotcha. You pulled it together at the end. Thank you. So as soon as James Franco walks into this house, Nick Cage is doing a line off the table and he lifts his head. And you see a good shot at him, even though it is kind of blurred, like the camera is blurred because they're trying to portray that James Franco's drunk. Which was stupid. Well, you know, again, first time director. Well, the dumb part was that it went in and out. Yeah, it wasn't consistent throughout this scene or these series of scenes. Yeah. But you get a good look at Nick Cage. He's got, let's go top to bottom because he's got a blonde wig. (laughs) But just like a toupee. Right. Like very clearly just the top of his head. it's curled. It's like curls. It's like like feathered and lethal. It's like very like Dolly Parton. A little bit. Yeah. I don't don't know if it's that curly, but it's it's just like a, it's like a surfer dude. It's a little tuft of blonde hair. It's beautiful. Then moving down his face, he's, he's got a these, fake nose on. He's got these big, thick rimmed glasses. Oh, right, yeah. And then he's got a fake nose. <laughs> and I think he's got those fake teeth in too that make his teeth all straight and white because yes. he's kind of talking a little bit like this. Mm-hmm. Like he's got a little extra lisp. Mm-hmm. Then continuing to move down his body, he's wearing what can only really be described as like an Austin Powers cosplay. Because in acid yellow. In 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 bright yellow, yeah. <laughs> Neon yellow. And he's holding and i don't know if he ever twirls it but he might as well be twirling a cane yeah <laughs> a nice wooden cane beautiful incredible costume. just wonderful I and loved it. he's so flamboyant and he's waving his hands around as he's trying to get more drugs <laughs> into the room and essentially the deal is he this will... part like went off the rails like the rest of the movie was pretty normal i don't know yes and no <laughs> there were some scenes throughout the movie that were pretty weird like the girl from American Pie, <laughs> I always I keep forgetting her name, and James Franco, they get together and they each have sex oh, with a right. couple I forgot that at a party. And then they're like, all right, pay us. And the party's over. Like, we had sex with you. Pay us. They pay them. And, and, then, their then, kids and then their kids run in like, mom, dad, like, hey, guys. And it's like, that was weird. <laughs> it, was, it was actually, I think, one of the better scenes of the movie. I thought but, so, too. I thought it was cool. Right, because they both get in the car and they just kind of start laughing and be like, how was your night? How was your night kind of thing? Yeah. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the Nick Nick Cage. (laughs) So, yeah, he's got just this incredible outfit. He's very flamboyant. And the deal is that you, I've got my top client. He's an insurance salesman. You got to be a little firm with him, but he is, he pays me the best, right? I'll give you drugs if you have sex with him, essentially. Nick Cage, before all the the sexiness happens, he takes a line of coke. And what exactly does he say, Han? He screams, I love coke cock. I love coke cock? What did you say? I heard coke cock. Coke cock, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> James Franco goes into the room with the with the client. And because James Franco is upset about his life as a prostitute and also that his father recently died, he basically starts beating up this client out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Again, very nouveau shamanic, very Nick Cage to kind of have this rage come out of nowhere, but a little bit justified for the character. Little He's bit. also drunk. Right. So Nick Cage storms in the room. And... But it's like <laughs> he has this cane because he walks <laughs> With like a limp. Right. He does walk with a limp. He walks like an old man, even though he's clearly a young man. (laughs) And he walks in. He he breaks up the fight with the help of another security guy and throws James Franco out. What does he say? He yells. 
He pulls out a knife too and yells. <laughs> and then James Franco starts running down the street away from him and he yells. Oh yeah. You fucking C word. <laughs> I won't use the actual C word. <laughs> it is such a good scream. It's, it's a great scene. It's out of nowhere. It is really great. It reminded me a lot of uh, Never on Tuesday. Yeah, with the prosthetic. It reminded me a lot of Racing with the Moon as well. Not mm. in his character, but in the sense that like there's one incredible scene in this movie. I see. And it's great. And, and it's, it's very cagey. Well, I mean, it's the only scene that he's in, so it has to be great. It has to be great. And he directed it, so he's got to have... Yeah, he. so no one shine. held him back. No one was like, maybe you should make a different choice. Like, he, right. he didn't have any direction. Right. I don't know if you heard that or not. Yeah, Hannah bumped the mic. It's okay. But this is uncontrolled, uncaged Nicolas Cage. Ooh, I like that. Don't you? It's very um, tyrannical pirate. <laughs> Gypsy tyrannical pirate. So Gypsy spirited tyrannical that's, pirate. That's pretty much the movie. James Franco comes back and, and the girl is like, I'm going to marry one of my clients. and It's a better life for me. Like, yeah. you should get out of this. You should get out too. And James Franco is about to get out. And then he goes and runs for the girl. And it fades to white and we're like, oh, that's nice. You know, they have a nice ending. But then it cuts back to James Franco and he's still kind of deciding what he wants to do with his life. So it's a little bit like... like interesting. Yeah, definitely. We didn't talk about the mom. Oh, yeah. The mom was really annoying. What was the line she said? I've <laughs> Something about, you've been there for 30 years or something like that. So... She had a terrible accent. This, and that, okay, so you thought so too? Oh, yeah. It was So this is what I wanted be. to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, most of the critiques are about her accent. Really? Yeah. This one says, it, this is from the same critic that mentioned that this movie is a touching bottom. So this critic says, it's hard to say when the movie first runs off the rails, perhaps when the mama screeches the word girl like Goyle. <laughs> she does say Goyle. <gasps> but it's funny. So this actor, she's British. Oh. And... Usually British people are really good at accents. Like Southern accents in particular because it's not terribly different. And I know a Cajun accent. We've been to New Orleans. James Franco did a good one. Yeah. You don't need to put Brooklyn into it. No. So it was very confusing. But one of the things that Nick Cage said in his interview Mm -hmm. was that he specifically cast her because he thought that she was a master at accents <laughs> well boy so was he wrong he doesn't know anything no that was bad i mean yeah like in the deep south it's okay to it sounds a little bit british sometimes to have that southern draw <laughs> you know what i mean beautiful keep going do the rest of the podcast in that it's okay but she yeah, was she had the southern draw and then <laughs> oh would say God. goyle <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't even that. She was so high pitched well, yeah, too. Oh, I don't know about that, Goyle. Yeah, it was that essentially. In the thirties, when yeah. this movie was around. Yeah, she was a real sour spot of this movie. Very annoying. Similar to Wild at Heart, where we thought the mother was the sour <laughs> spot of the movie. She was nominated for an Academy Award. I know she was in that other movie, not this one. So oh, not anyhow. this woman. The only nomination was for the special award. <laughs> David special yeah. participation award. Whatever. Okay. The good job you did it. Right. But not really, because you didn't win. 
Any other closing thoughts, Han? Once again, you know, for someone's directing debut, compared to his brothers, like, this wasn't bad. No, Deadfall was atrocious. As a movie, Deadfall was atrocious. We loved it, but Deadfall well, yeah, was, exactly. we loved it because of Nick Cage in it. He saved that movie for it, us, it was, not, for, not it was for the movie. One of the best so bad it's good movies, but this was not so bad it's good. This was not say, so bad. This no, was just fine. No, I really fine. didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. Maybe we are off. Maybe we're idiots. I don't know. <laughs> we well, did have a I long weekend. That far. But anyhow, so... We also struggled to find this movie. It's very difficult. Almost impossible. Don't Good luck. bother. We found it at the local library, so don't worry about <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, no, I think all of my closing thoughts are the same as yours. I think the one thing I'll add as well is that he cast himself extremely well, I think. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, otherwise... I wonder if that was in the original script or if he wrote it in so that he could be in it. Right, yeah. Or I wonder if, you know, he saw the script and was like, this this character seems the craziest. It, yeah. I, I need to be this one. <laughs> At least he knows himself. That's true, yeah. All right. Self-aware. Good times. So, yeah, not bad. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's do some awards. Let's do some Nick Cage awards. First up, best supporting actor. James Franco. Franco was Very pretty good. good. Yeah, he was not the mom. No, and the girl wasn't bad, but she wasn't great. And she same, was fine. Franco same with, was great. Yeah, and same with Harry Dean Stanton. There were a lot of puppies. You usually like to give it to the yeah, dog. But come on, Franco was Franco. really good. This Fair is enough. the movie that made uh, someone want to play him in a movie that's not very flattering to that person. That is true. Best dressed, that's an obvious. It's yellow. It's his only. And like well, I said, he's yeah. got the puffy shirt, like, you know, just the frills coming out of his shirt it and the is, sleeves and yeah. the necklaces. And... It is very um, Austin Powers cosplay. Oh, it's beautiful. Worst... It's like the Powerpuff Girls of Austin Powers. Like like multiple colors. That made no sense. Cut that out. <laughs> I'm going to. Not even to keep it into embarrassing because I can't even think of anything to say to that. <laughs> Worst. Worst Nick Cage scene and best Nick Cage scene I guess are going to be the best because it's the only scene. I mean, there's two halves of the scene. Yeah. Which did you like better? I liked them both. Yeah, I don't think we can really no. pull them apart. If it were on a stage, it would be the same scene. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if this were a stage production, they wouldn't have to change sets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are we going to put together a stage production of Sunny? I think, so. I, I think we need to put together a stage production of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> All right, best that's, screen. That's going to be the uh, culmination of this podcast. Oh, please, no. We get a stage reading by Nicolas Cage of his book, How to Be How to Act in the Nouveau Shamanic. I'm just looking life. forward to the what is it, the incredible weight of extreme talent yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that that sounds really good. That's gonna be fun. Anyhow, best scream. Is it the cococ or is it the cut his fucking face off, you effing C word? I think it's the second one. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And then finally the most nouveau shamanic moment. What what within that scene was the most nouveau shamanic? Or because he directed, could we apply it elsewhere to, to one of the other characters? I think that it was easy to see where James Franco drew inspiration from. Of course. And for that, I would just, I would call that any, any scene 
even the one that Nick Cage is in when he freaks out. Mm-hmm. Any scene where anyone freaks out, it's obvious that. Well, I mean, it it it's not even obvious. Like it's known that there's it's there's no denying, there's no dispute that Nick Cage directed it. So you right. know that he made that choice. Mm. Yeah. All right. He well, kept it in. Yeah, we can we can give it generally to Nicolas Cage's directing style. But only for the freaking out freak stuff. out scenes. Yeah. In the freak out scenes. All right. Fair enough. Now we've got the daunting task of ranking this one. Where is this one going? In the middle of the pack. Okay. Give me somewhere. Give me another movie that you think in the middle of the pack. Otherwise, I can give you movie number 20. Well, he... It's a cameo. Mm-hmm. And I would say a similar cameo enjoyability-wise to Never on Tuesday. Okay, let's right. find... Yeah, Never on Tuesday. But I think this movie is better than Never on Tuesday. Okay. Above Never on Tuesday, we have Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Above. Peggy Sue got married. <sighs> he's in a. He's in Peggy Sue. He's in Peggy Sue a he's lot. He's bad in Peggy Sue. He's terrible in Peggy Sue. He's like the weirdest voice and choices. I, I, you I hate, hate Peggy, Peggy Sue. Sue. Above it. Above Peggy Sue is The Cotton Club. That one he's also not in, and it's also a decent movie. Do you want to do it between The Cotton Club and Peggy Sue? I don't know, because Above the Cotton Club is Guarding Tess. Ooh. And I hated Guarding Tess. Above that. All right. Keep going. Moonstruck. You hate Moonstruck. I do hate Moonstruck. I think, okay, Above Moonstruck is movie number 20, which is Trapped in Paradise. And that's half halfway through. And I, I think it might be between those two. I think that's fair. Wow. That's not going to be a popular opinion. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I, I Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just It doesn't matter. Just put it there? <laughs> just put it there. Okay. All right. All right. That's where it is. I think in a few episodes, whenever we hit episode 50, we'll have to go through the entire ranking. Just kind of rattle them off. Uh, yeah. We have to. We'll be I halfway know, through. I, I just don't want to hear <laughs> any of You don't want to relive names. those dark memories. So I do have some good news for you, Hannah. What's that? Next week, we are watching Adaptation Period, cool. <laughs> which period. is Nicolas Cage's other Academy Award nomination. Isn't Meryl Streep in it? I do not know. I looked up nothing about the movie. I was saving it for next week. Yep. Meryl Streep? Perfect. That'll be fun. It'll be a good watch. It'll be easier to find. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Anything else, Anne? No, I was just looking at the rankings or the ratings for it. We'll discuss it next week. As you imagine, quite higher. Oh my god, significantly than higher. Than Sunny, yes. 2002. Um, you know what? If I directed a movie and it was my first movie, I'd also see it in theaters a few times. Yeah, of course. And pay $130,000 to see it because you know that that's... Though that's the only way that that movie made any money. Absolutely. Impossible to find them on uh, any source other than uh, your local library. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's that. You have anything else? Nope. Okay. I want to get out of here. Oh, boy. <laughs> so now you know why the Nick Cage bird sings. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care.